Hey Phil. Hey Laurie. Now quickly, you know that the way the Super Belly Bros show starts is the theme music is playing underneath it, but as we're recording it, we can't hear that, so I want you to try and guess at this point where the music is and sing along. I'm thinking it's going... Who's right? <laughs> Let's find out. Listeners, welcome to... But you to... edit the show. <laughs> no, I won't cheat. I promise I won't cheat. Listeners, welcome to our movie review show. We've only got one brand new movie for you this week. That's Fast and Furious 8. But we also have our What We've Been Watching reviews. Yep, and also we've got some movie news, a little bit of a discussion on the top stories of the day. Yes, and we're going to cover L and Trespass Against Us, two fairly recent films that are both not showing anymore at the cinema. <laughs> They're not out anymore. We just couldn't cram them in because it was absolutely chock-a-blocker with uh, Oscar films and all that sort of stuff. But we've seen them and we have thoughts on them, so we'd like to give them to you in case you have seen them or you might want to check them out when they are actually released. That's the one. And there'll be sort of mini reviews. And we've got our first session of the movie clinic. I'm calling it that. We still haven't agreed a name. <laughs> we don't. If you have a name, send it in. Please do. Please tell help us, us. Tell us what it is, Phil. This is basically listener suggestions for films which they just don't understand what that film was trying to say, what it was on about, what that scene meant, what that line meant, what that little random bit of a movie might mean. They're really confused by it. They don't get it and they think, who can I call? Who can I ask? Who can I for call? Help? It's going to be the Super Lady Bros. And on so we're going to give us. Helpline, yes. And we'll do our best to hypothesize some diagnoses. Give or... a little bit of critical thought and yeah. interpretation, blah, blah, blah. Not definitive, though, is it? No, 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 but it's very much sort of like, it's like an agony aunt. You send in your problem, we give you a suggestion of how you can solve it. Ignore or use as you will. And, of course, we've got your emails and tweets towards the end of the episode. And you can get in touch with us about anything on superbaileybros at gmail.com or at superbaileybros on Twitter. Yeah, please do email us in. We'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks so much to all of those who do email in the show. It's great. We love hearing from you guys. And thanks very much to those guys who support us on Patreon too. That's right. Patreon.com slash superbaileybros if you're interested in supporting us from as little as $2 a month. Plus, is? plus extra fees and VAT, apparently, because that's how Patreon works. Thanks, Boo. Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think that's all we need to say at this point, Phil. This is the quickest intro ever, which I'm now making slower. Sorry. No, you're not. You're not. Now, do you want to have another go at guessing uh, the pitch and the melody for the jingle I'm about to play to move into the next section? Boom, 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 boom. It's the wrong jingle. It'll be like this. <laughs> Let's see if I'm right. I literally haven't seen a single Fast and Furious movie. I have no idea who the characters are. I have no idea is what the true, plot really? is. I don't know. I know there's Paul Walker was in them, but not anymore. Yes. I know The Rock's in it. I know Vin Diesel's in it. I know that girl who got killed in Lost is in it. I don't know which one that is. I know it's got the guy who was a rapper turned ludicrous. Baby. Ludicrous is baby, definitely baby, in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like I know <laughs> all these things, but know nothing. and know, I don't understand how they fit together, man. Well, I should admit, admit as well, Phil, that I've only really seen Tokyo Drift all the way through, which is widely considered to be an outsider in the franchise because it doesn't even it doesn't really feature any of those guys that's the crazy thing about this film though is uh, it's part of a franchise which is like the third most successful franchise of all time yeah it's huge it's ridiculous like billions of billions of dollars billions yeah well and i think there's a reason why i'm going to take you through that phil because fast and furious 8 uh alternately called fate of the furious or by no one. well the, the, the only people i can see calling it the fate of the furious are google in their cinema screening listings because in the screening I saw the title card was Fast and Furious 8 in all the publicity material I've had from the distributor it's Fast and Furious 8 I wonder why it's called The Fate of the Furious it's then. a bad name isn't it bad name very anyway, confusing let's just go for it so here we go so <laughs> this begins with Vin Diesel who is Dominic Toretto man 
uh, an amazing car driver and I think an ex-convict who also got involved in doing sort of FBI work at some point as well because he's so skilled, man. He's such a good driver and so cool and everything. Yeah. But they naturally would turn to him to uh, to solve crimes and things. Uh-huh. So we meet him in Cuba where he appears to be living sort of a semi-anonymous lifestyle and also living with his now wife who is Michelle Rodriguez. Letty is her character's name. Is she the one who used to be in Lost? Yeah, she used to be in Lost. There you go. And they seem to be having kind of an amazing life. Cuba looks beautiful. Incredibly sun-drenched. There's the beach, you know. And apparently also in Cuba there are also amazing cars all over the street and car shows that dominate entire towns. Not just that, but women who wear clothes that emphasise their posteriors hanging around these cars as well. And they also don't seem to mind the cameramen that are zooming around and right up <laughs> their backsides, apparently. That's just a feature of life on Cuba, so, I would, so it would seem. Yeah. Very, very quickly, Don Toretto gets into an altercation and he's going to have to race someone uh, you know, to prove his mettle because that's also how things are decided. Everyone knows this. If you on the street, you know, you've got to do a, a, a quick little street race. Well, even not on the street, just in the town, apparently, because the entire <laughs> town loves this. They have motorcyclists who uh, drive ahead of them and like stop traffic so they can race through the streets, all that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. Within seconds, you know exactly what this film is about. You've got the women doing what they do. If you're watching the film for that, then you'll see them. If you're watching the film for the cars and the speed, then you'll get that straight away. If you're suddenly nervous that, you, oh, I brought the family, I thought this was going to be a family friendly film don't worry at the end of the race Dom Toretto Vin Diesel hoists up a smiling girl onto his shoulders who beams at everyone to say yes this is family friendly I've never seen more efficient film expectation setting in my life I don't think it's incredible Uh, and even more than that I love that there's a couple of lines uh, when they're discussing this race at the beginning which is quite spectacular the bad guy who's challenging Vin Diesel Vin Diesel's cousin is there saying oh man don't race him he's got the fastest car on the island right Mm -hmm. oh no and then a couple of sentences later his same cousin says to him no no don't use my car it's the slowest one on the island I'm not even I'm not even kidding. That's the level of sophistication this film is going for and it nails it. So yeah, that all happens and then we get into the film's major plot which is that Dominic uh Vin Diesel gets blackmailed by Charlize Theron's cipher, a bad guy we don't know much about to begin with. And he has to work with her. More than that, he has to betray his own teammates. He gets no. called in. I know, right? He gets called into a secret government mission. Luke Hobbs, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is running it, calls the team together. They succeed. It's something to do with cars somehow. But on the way out, Dom has to betray them. And that's, that's the film, basically. Why has Dom betrayed us? we've got to stop him before deadly weapons get into the wrong hands but also we need to figure out why he suddenly turned against his own team i thought this whole franchise was just about like street racing no man not anymore (laughs) seriously not anymore and the clip that we're about to play is a good example of that because luke hobbs after something goes wrong ends up in a prison cell and not any prison cell phil but right across from who else but jason statham who's playing a character (laughs) called deckard who apparently they met in fast and furious 6 and they've got some bad blood between them and you are going to hear their rivalry through apparently sealed cell doors that they can speak through as if they weren't even there Uh, and then an action scene that i won't even bother to explain you can just enjoy the noise how about (laughs) that sounds great let's do it do you really believe you could beat me in a straight up old-fashioned fist fight let me tell you something me and you one-on-one no one else around I will beat your ass like a Cherokee drum. Maybe one day we'll find out. Oh, you better hope that day never comes. Hey! 
Go over, get back to your cell! Well, it's just a malfunction. Get back! Just a malfunction! Yeah. Great music, yeah. <laughs> now, Phil, there's not going to be that much for me to say in this review, thankfully, because I think it is... Well, there's one, there's a line where Charlize Theron says, no one has seen anything like this. She's totally right, man. I have not seen a film like this before ever, I don't think. And I can't decide whether I'm impressed by it or in utter disbelief <laughs> at what I'm seeing, because there's no film I've seen in recent years that is so fast and loose with what it's doing it doesn't it doesn't even pretend to be a film <laughs> it is just like a series of vignettes and action sequences very loosely tied together by nominally a plot and jokes there's constant gags in particular Dwayne Johnson there are scenes where his head fills the camera to such an extent do you know it's like you're having an out of body experience where all you can is see like- is the rock's gigantic face there's one sequence where he's now a soccer coach for his daughter's soccer team and he's teaching them all through the hacker and giving them an inspirational speech and it's just I, the expressions he pulls and the, the girls on his team pull, they're, they're hilarious, but they don't really belong in a cinema. It's so weird. It's like home movie stuff. Uh, and then also he basically says wrestling style one-liners into the camera a lot of the time. If they're in doubt about how to close off a conversation, they'll just have him go, can you smell what the, you know, that kind of, he doesn't actually say that, but that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It sounds just absolutely insane and bonkers. And The thing it made me think towards the end is, you know, for all the amount all the things I can say to criticize this, like it's totally incoherent, it's ridiculous, it's just nonsensical in every sense of the word, and there are some really poorly constructed sequences, badly structured. For all of that, I'm still really entertained, so much so that it almost felt like a satire. <laughs> like it was making fun <laughs> of me because I can't deny that for huge portions of the film, I was laughing, I had my head in my hands. I was sort of disbelievingly filled with glee. The stunts are pretty good. The, I mean, the thing that most people will probably talk about is uh, a car sequence in New York City, I think it is, that is a bit like World War Z, but with cars. That's pretty good. That's the point at which Charlie wow. Theron says no one has seen anything like this. And Jason Statham is kind of a law unto himself in a huge number of ways. He really earns his money in this. And I do slightly think that since Spy, if you remember him in Spy... He is fully transitioned from being just Mr. Tough action B-movie guy into comedy, let's make fun of the whole genre person because his sequences are ridiculous. There's one sequence towards the end where he features strongly that is, I, I can't really put words to it, Phil. The key thing, though, I'm curious about is, is it fun? Did yeah, it's so fun? much fun. I thought I, was go- I got that coming across. No, but is it, as in, there's sort of, there's a ridiculousness and it's all so silly and you can kind of enjoy it and you're entertained, but then you think that was a load of rubbish. And then there's a sort of sense where you get a, a movie which is so bombastic, so ridiculous, so out there and turning it right up to 11 on every single notch, but it still remains super fun and just you're, you're there for the ride, you enjoy the ride. And it's like a roller coaster. It's not 
it's not anything to sort of discuss or reflect on but the I experience think it, I of think it, it is the latter yeah it is a fun roller coaster it doesn't stop it dragging the sequences which are mainly talking and plot driven are just they're a real lull in the action because you know that plot is dumb everyone <laughs> everyone knows the plot is dumb so it's not much fun to see the actors pretend like there is one put it like that do you think fast and furious 8 this is kind of like a a souring of the franchise or do you think it's going to lead on to bigger and better things i think it's certainly a distillation of the franchise to its key constituent parts and they are being presented ever more plainly it's dumb it's fun and it's big basically so i think that's what you should expect from the next three films phil i enjoyed it it got a b plus from me really Uh, yeah because i i had so much fun i couldn't deny it i laughed out loud i admit i was in a cinema where i think the distributor had essentially uh paid and invited a lot of people to turn up who they thought would just laugh at the film really so it was a very chuckly cinema i realized this for the first time i sat next to some people there and i said oh who are you writing like reviewing this for and they said oh no one i I just used to work here and they invited me to come (laughs) oh really (laughs) yeah exactly so there was a good vibe in the cinema which i think helps quite a lot and I would say this is definitely a big screen experience. Any bonuses? Well, it, most inventive use of car seat. This would win it. And like a baby car seat or like... No, a... no other words. A bizarrest, <laughs> most enjoyable cameo. And what else would it win? Most lazy Kurt Russell award. How about that? Is he the cameo? <laughs> no, he's not the cameo. But it's, yeah, a ridiculous role from him. Uh, so you yeah. sort of like, you give me a little bit of a taste. It's like, have the fast food, have the fast food. It is that. That's, that's a really good metaphor, man. That is exactly what it is. And I don't doubt that everyone who watches it will find something to enjoy. My question to you, my dare to you is uh, gladiator style. Are you not entertained by the end of it? Given all its faults, are you not entertained? I might go watch that and then I'll, I'll answer that question. I'll wait for it, man. Movie news! Jude Law has been announced to play young Dumbledore in the sequel to Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Mm, big news, Phil. Are you excited about this? It's an interesting choice, casting choice, I have to say. And it's, it's getting headlines. You can't deny it's getting headlines. It's certainly getting headlines. My immediate thought was he's too handsome. Jude Law is a handsome man. Can't have Dumbledore being ugly. I don't know. Why not? He's just an old man in the other films. <laughs> That's the thing which I'm slightly curious of. of what are they going to do with this character? I don't really want... I don't really care about Dumbledore's character. We already all, all got that in uh, Harry Potter 7, didn't we? So I guess it's something that fans are excited about, though, isn't it? Because you'll also get to see his relationship with Gellert Grindelwald, which is all hinted at. Well, it's, that means you're going to see... Spoilers <laughs> here. You're going to see Johnny Depp and uh, Jude Law Romance. being friendly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that happens before the uh, events in Fantastic Beasts. Who Beast. knows, Laurie? Okay. Who knows? Right. Something to look forward to, I guess. Uh, but you know what? Even more than that, Phil, we've actually got an exclusive on this show. Did you know this? Well, yeah, I'm on the show, Laurie. Of course I'm, you did, yeah. I'm yeah. a co-host. Of course, of course. But the thing is, you know, this is just really hot stuff, listeners. I mean, like no one else has picked this up, but Phil and I, well, can I say we know people, and we managed to find some of Jude Law's screen test uh, for this role. This is why he got cast, and it, these are lines that may well end up in the film. Maybe they put some backing music to it as well. So keep it hush-hush, don't tell anyone, but you guys are cool. Check so. it out. What do you think about this Dumbledore? It's been said that clothes speak the international language. And I have to admit, I'm a bit of a fashion. Boop. Unfortunately today, I've got work. And I have to tone it down a little bit, but that's alright. Very understated, and I can easily spice it up with... No, no, I know what you're thinking. You lose masculinity like some of us do. You have no reason to fear pink. Smash. 
edgy, isn't it? Very edgy, quite metrosexual as well. Well, what, what are you going to do, Phil? I mean, it's the 1920s in New York, and I can't think of a place more metrosexual than that. And Dumbledore, it really suits his character. Oh, totally, you know? it does. I mean, I can see why on the strength of that they hired him. So there we go, an SPB exclusive. Maybe, maybe keep it on the hush-hush there, listeners. <laughs> Movie news! <laughs> Okay, a couple of quick movie reviews for you here, listeners. These are the ones that are vaguely current, but uh, not on the cinema anymore. We're clearing our decks, let's be real. <laughs> That's We're just right. clearing them out. We saw them, out. but we just couldn't fit them into other episodes. So I'm going to do L, and Phil, you're going to do... Trespass Against Us. Okay, and we'll go quickly. There's no audio clip for L because it's uh, all in French. This is a Paul Verhoeven movie. He is the guy behind Starship Troopers and Showgirls, I think. He's a very odd director. He does very uh, controversial films, doesn't he? He does. Robocop as well. He, when he's really good and when the edge to it is sharp, he can be incredible uh, from a satirical perspective, like biting satire of the times and of ideologies and all that kind of stuff. You know, famously, Starship Troopers was that. It was critical of war propaganda, basically, and he's trying to have a go at fascism and, and all that sort of stuff. But a lot of people missed that. When they it was thought released. it was a silly action movie about joining and like it was like yeah let's get some guns and kill some exactly bugs. and people thought it was reprehensible for that reason whereas actually that was the very thing he was trying to show was reprehensible so he's an interesting filmmaker who doesn't always manage to communicate his goals he's an interesting one and that is a great summary for the film l it stars isabelle Huppert, and she was nominated i think for best actress at the academy awards she didn't win emma stone took that away she stars and forgive me listeners it's not a pleasant film summary she stars as the head ceo of a video games company they make quite edgy violent video games and she sadly is assaulted at her own home and it's horrible that's the way the film opens she doesn't quite know, seem to know how to deal with it and she immediately seems to deal with it differently than many of us might imagine and the rest of the film is her trying to find out who this person was who assaulted her. She wants to handle it herself because for various reasons that are revealed during the film, she does not trust the police. And yeah, so we kind of see this woman handling this situation. We see it in the context of friends when she discusses it with friends at her workplace as well and on her own as she tries to track it down. And I didn't enjoy it. Um, I found it uncomfortable and unpleasant. Uh, I reminded me of books I read as an English student which use violence and horrible ideas as a way to shock the reader into considering philosophical concepts. I believe that is what Paul Verhoeven is doing. I think it's sort of irresponsible to use this kind of assault as a way of doing it because I just think there are some things that you can't take lightly and this would be one of them. But on the other hand, I got angry with him <laughs> because sitting through the film, I found I was being forced to reflect on philosophical implications all around the way the story is portrayed and specifically the way that Isabel Huppert's character is portrayed. So I wouldn't recommend it to very many people unless you are someone who is familiar with the dark side of art house cinema and you can cope with unpleasant concepts being removed, acknowledging that it's all artwork in this case and that you're supposed to be considering something to do with life and everything else, but... Uh, it's not pleasant. You're saying it takes uh, the idea of art deconstructing difficult ideas to the absolute extreme, basically. That's right, and presents it as a film, uh, whereas often those things are done in books instead. So, yeah, an unpleasant film. Uh, the camera work is really interesting. I, I've associated Paul Verhoeven with a sort of blockbuster-style camera work, and I've never considered before that he is able to produce something in the art house mould. And there are some really beautiful shots, and the surrounding landscape uh, in Paris, I think it's Paris anyway, uh, in France, it's very beautifully shot. It's interesting, it's quite intimate, 
but it's almost annoying at how skilled he is because he's mis i think he's basically misusing all of that to do something quite ugly so there we go what grade would you give it man I'd probably have to give it a, a B minus because I can I can respect the craft. It's very clever. There's a reason Isabella Pair was nominated for the Academy Award. She does give a very intriguing performance that is not very comfortable. So I can admire the craft, but I really didn't like the content. That comes with a very severe Laurie Bailey warning. Absolutely. I think if you're sensitive to uh, this kind of thing for any number of reasons, as most people are, then you've really got to think carefully about whether this is a film for you because it does not shy away from that content and it revisits it in fact on a number of occasions so there we go from a one depressing film to hopefully a slightly better one phil okay trespass against us this is uh, starring michael fassbender and brendan gleason mm. do you remember i talked about assassin's creed and whether or not there's some sort of weird yes, partnership that's right i wondered if maybe this was linked to this film and there was some sort of backroom dealings so that this film could get me quite made. possibly this is directed by adam smith and is written by alistair siddons and this is the story of the Cutler family. The Cutler family are uh, part of a traveling community and their their patriarch of this community is Colby Cutler, played by Brendan Gleeson, who is the father of Chad Cutler, played by Michael Fassbender. Right. And in this community, they've been in this, this community for a while and they have some dodgy ties to criminality and things like that. And they're kind of doing heists and things. Um, but Chad Cutler's got his own family. Michael Fassbender's character's got his family with a couple of young kids. And they're starting to think maybe they need to get out of this lifestyle, leave this community and settle down for the sake of their family. But that would mean leaving Chad's dad, played by Brendan Gleeson. Right. OK. Here we've got a clip of one of the sort of the effects of their lifestyle and their sort of reputation in the community. And this is the, the Cutler parents meeting with their children's teacher. And are we going to have to bleep a few words, Phil? Yes, we will. OK. What, I, what I'm trying to um, Mr. and Mrs. Cutler... I, I don't think that Ty and Minnie's best interests are served at Churtle Primary School anymore. I've really done everything I can to keep them here, but um, after recent events, it's been decided that it's for the best. <sighs> Who says? There have been several complaints. There are, there are other schools that I can refer you to that might be better suited to their needs. There ain't nothing wrong with my kids! Mrs Cutler, please. Chad! This is a very small school and we rely on the support of the local community. No one has the right to stop my kids from learning and education, no one. Why? Because of something that has got nothing to do with them, no way f*** that! Mrs Cutler, please. Let's just get out of this. Don't you f*** out of this. Oh, walk away, Chad. That's it. You walk away. This is your Beep. fault. You know that? I wanted them an education, Cal. I wanted them one. Yeah. So they wouldn't turn out like you. So that gives you some sense of what the, the film's tone is. It's quite serious, quite dramatic. And you've got Michael Fassbender doing uh, some accent work, which is quite convincing, I think. And it makes it feel quite distant this whole film i felt quite distant from it i didn't really understand this lifestyle or this world and so it's quite an eye-opening experience sort of imagining this community in a good way in an interesting way i wouldn't want to say it's good or bad it's just kind of interesting okay 
I like this film in in lots of ways. I thought it was a much better constructed film than I thought it would be going into it. I thought it was going to be really, really dark and really difficult to engage with and kind of very moody. And it's not really like that. It's quite uh, a a good mix of serious, dramatic uh, family tensions with some levity. Uh, The film opens with a nice little sequence where um, Michael Fassbender is driving a car in a field and getting his kids to drive who are both under under 10 and they're driving trying to chase a rabbit basically in this car off road and it's kind of bizarre and exciting and interesting so there's a bit of playfulness to the film which isn't really what i expected from the posters from any of the marketing no nothing at all. yeah it looks very intense and looks very kind of confrontational i think there's some really good performances from brendan gleason and uh michael fassbender there's a real sort of bubbling tension between them but it, they don't feel equal in terms of their power. They don't. It doesn't feel like they're sort of knowingly battling each other. And instead it feels kind of like that, trying to separate a bond that can't ever really be broken with family. Okay, interesting. And he's pulled from his children and his father, who he sees him as his own child. And they're, the battleground for this sort of tension and this separation actually comes in the form of uh, Chad, Michael Fassbender's character's children, his very young children, as uh, the grandfather tries to sort of influence and shape the worldview of uh, of his grandson, and Michael Fassbender clearly not wanting that to be the case. I mean, it does sound fascinating, but quite raw. It is very raw, and it's it's slightly frustrating because the film raises up some plot points and some Chekhov guns, to use a kind of writing term, that never really get fired, which is really frustrating. They go on these heists and you sort of think, oh, these heists are building to a dramatic conclusion. And the film kind of peters out and instead goes for quite a character-focused resolution. Interesting. I wonder is, why. it's still not necessarily resolved. I slightly wonder if maybe money ran out and they couldn't do the sort of big ending that they kind of intended to... I want to point out one sequence which I thought was actually genuinely amazing. It was a car sequence, uh, a car chase sequence, where Michael Fassbender's character is escaping from the police uh, and driving through really narrow streets in a sort of a flat complex. And I thought it was one of the best car chases I've seen on film. Really? Better than uh, the Bourne films, even. I thought it was really well filmed. It made it feel claustrophobic and tight, like uh, Michael Fassbender's character is the best driver ever. And it, it kind of conveys a lot about his character and the scenario and it was also just really exciting i really didn't know how it's going to resolve or how it's really end. cool man you've made that sound very compelling I've got to I, I thought but the thing is it's very low-key because it's them driving around in like a ford fiesta in a kind of stolen rubbish car but isn't that the secret to it because i mean i reviewed fast and furious 8 there weren't any good car chases in that for sure because it's too sort of big for its boots to do that sort of thing it's not it doesn't have small enough ambitions but then this one, you know exactly, you can relate to the roads and the yeah, sort of yeah, yeah. snipping through these little corridors and things like that. I thought it was great sequence and it made it exciting. Unfortunately, I do think ultimately, though, the ideas it begins to raise, it never really kind of sees through right to the end. The performances from the main characters are good. I was invested and then it kind of didn't really lead to anything. So I think overall, I thought it showed some promise from um, the director, but a bit frustrating film. I'd give it probably a B minus. A B minus and recommended for people to check out on their own or not? I don't think I would recommend it. I think if you came across it and you happened to watch it and you felt interested to watch it, go for it. But I wouldn't recommend watching it, if you know what I mean. Maybe I'll look for a clip of that car chase. Though. I really want to see it. <laughs> it's a good... I enjoyed it. I just thought it was well done. I wasn't expecting it. It's not the sort of film where you'd expect a car chase to come in. No, right. Well, there we go, Phil. Have we cleared our books then? I think so. I think we've managed to get them off our plates and nice and short, I think. We managed it just about. Uh, Listeners, let us know if you've seen either of those two films and you agree or disagree with our brief thoughts there. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, you never know, maybe we'll do that in future. 
What, just clear the decks? A little bit, yeah, with slightly shorter reviews. What do you think? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, on that thought. Chad Magoo, the doctor will see you now. Please report to the reception. Hi there, Chad Magoo. I'm here to see Dr. Bailey. Uh, yes, what are you seeing him for? Uh, I've got a problem with Lost in Translation. Oh, that does sound serious, sir. Okay, walk straight into the booth, I'm in the room, the <laughs> clinic, and the doctor will see you shortly. <laughs> like you. Well, that was a dumb uh, illustration of how this feature might work, right? Well, I haven't told you my problem, Doctor. So no, come on, we're <laughs> dropping the Doctor thing. Come on. <laughs> well, we're in the film clinic, so let's talk about Lost in Translation. It's a very confusing film. I'm not sure I fully understand it. Maybe Dr. Bailey can help me. Maybe he can. And listeners, as we said in the intro, we have had some suggestions about uh, film clinic things. You know, films you've got a problem with, you don't get the theme, or there are things in them that you don't understand. And they, they particularly include Hell or High Water and Get Out. But as they're still quite current releases, we don't really want to spoil them. Whereas Lost in Translation, A, it's older, and B, the complaints people have aren't so much spoilers as interpretations, right? Exactly, exactly. So we'll do that. So so now, are you going to have to tell me what the problems are with the film? Well, the problems are, what does it mean? What's it trying to say? What's that ending about? What is the dynamic between Scarlett Hansen and Bill Murray? Is it romantic? Is it platonic? Who knows? What's this film saying? Very good. And I can throw into that questions I've had people throw at me saying, is this a film that glamorises affairs? And that's how they felt about it. Or is it a film in which nothing happens and therefore it's really boring? Or is it a film that's ultimately a sad film because there's two people who should be together who aren't together? Is that what this film is? So, so many problems. Is it, am I just going to give the, the solution or are you? Well, I think I, I might chip in, but I think you're the expert on us in translation. The expert is so untrue. Well, listeners, you might be surprised to hear that I don't think any of those interpretations are correct from my point of view. But it certainly is true that it's such a great film that it can impact you in any number of ways. What I think this film is about, listeners is much more about life than it is anything to do with relationships. So Scarlett Johansson's character, uh, Charlotte, isn't she? Um, She turns up and she graduated with philosophy, but she hasn't figured out what she's doing. The only reason she's in Tokyo is because she's married, recently married to a really successful photographer guy who himself seems to be sort of figuring out who he is. He seems to be using hair products suddenly out of the blue. Exactly. Maybe moving away from the person she thought she had married. And that's a difficult situation. So she feels lost and isolated. There's the great scene in her room where she calls her friend and her friend doesn't really understand uh, the problem that she's having. Hello? Lauren? Charlotte, hey. Hey. Oh my God, how's Tokyo? It's great here. It's really great. Um... I don't know, I went to this shrine today mm-hmm. and um, there were these monks and they were chanting and I didn't feel anything, you know? And um, I don't know, I, I, I even tried Ikebana and John is using these hair products. I just, I don't know who I married. Oh, can you wait a second? Just hold on, I'll be right back. Okay, sure. Sorry. What were you saying? Nothing, it's okay. I'll call you later, okay? Okay, have the best time, you know? Just call me when you get back, okay? Bye. Bye. Love you. Uh, And then she meets Bill Murray, and things seem to click in a way that perhaps they haven't been for a really long time. Likewise, Bill Murray is an actor who says, And paid $2 million to endorse a whiskey when I could be doing... And he's never... And he seems to be sick of his old appearances in films where he was a sort of comedy action star, and he sort of eschews... 
are people recognizing him he doesn't like that because they also talk about his old career and he seems to kind of have weird shame going on with who he is now versus who he was he has a tough relationship with his wife especially since children have arrived and he doesn't quite know he talks about marriage being hard he doesn't really know whether they're happy he doesn't know what the future holds for him even though he knows he loves his children if you think about those two things those are, that is what the film spends all its time on. The film spends all its time on you discovering this about these two people independently. And they often learn those lessons quite apart from each other. When they come together, they don't talk romantically. They talk as friends would and they discuss life, don't they? There's that fantastic scene in the bed uh, where they talk to each other and he tells her... You'll figure that out. I'm not worried about you. But there's the great quote, which kind of sums it all up, right, Phil? I know you like this one. Mm. The more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. Yeah, I, I think that's what this film is about. And so as they get to know each other and they sort of learn or see a different perspective and they're in a, a city in a country that is completely alien to their whole perspective on life so far and really heightens their sense of loneliness and lostness in the world... As they chat to each other, they get to sort of look at each other from someone else's perspective and stop getting stuck in their own tiny little world, their prison of introspection, and they're able to appreciate it from another angle, one of experience, one of innocence. And I think what's amazing about it is the fact that as they interact together, they then go away and separate, and then that's when they have further sort of comments and thoughts and ideas about their own situations like for example after he's hung out with charlotte bill murray calls his wife and says i want to be healthier and i want to do that's this right i want to eat japanese food yeah exactly she says and, why don't you stay there and you can have it every day i love that and, and so he kind of he wants to make these changes and he realizes that he he's he's in a marriage where it's not just him it's two people and he's kind of struggling with that the idea that he wants to change but then is his wife going to change with him and things like that exactly it's, it's an amazing situation where for the first half of the film, both of them are looking inside themselves and are feeling unhappy. And then through the second half of the film, through their meeting, they begin to look outside of themselves. And therefore, at the point where at the film, they give each other that final hug, they're acknowledging the significance that they've had. But then they go back their separate ways. I think it's a really important and good thing that what their meeting together has done has helped them to reappraise their own lives and given them a different appreciation for who they are in their own relationship or in their own situation. I think it's, it's the great sort of holiday feeling where you go away and you get a new perspective on stuff. And that kind of hope idea of having had somebody's young eyes of, of the difficulties of life. What am I doing? What, what do I want out of it? Who is this person I'm married to? Bill Murray kind of looks back kind of warmly at that idea, I think. Yeah. Whereas Scarlett Hansen looks at Bill Murray and thinks oh, it's going to be okay, I'm going to figure this stuff out and it's, I don't need to have it all figured out. It's great. It's like two coming-of-age stories running parallel alongside each other. But rather than it being a teenage one about coming-of-age and discovering girls or whatever, Scarlett Johansson is discovering what it means to no longer be a student and have to be an adult. Bill Murray is discovering he's having a coming-of-middle-age <laughs> story. Do you know what I mean? And figuring out, oh, this, who's this person I'm going to and there's And there's also a sense in which I think it's saying those, those two experiences are the same thing and they're always happening. Exactly. It's very realistic. So that is what I think Lost in Translation is about. If you think it's about nothing, I, maybe you're just a more settled and happy person in who you are. But if you've ever sort of worried whether you're doing the right thing or about the direction your life is going in, I think this is a brilliant film that encourages you to realise that tomorrow is still tomorrow and stuff keeps happening.
And it doesn't hurt that it's in a beautiful, exotic, yeah. unusual setting that is just visually stunning and otherworldly and yet completely human. And totally. Relatable. And there's a reason. I think that is the re- one of the major reasons. All the themes and, and the beauty of it is why often to me watching this film feels like going on holiday because it provides that sort of self-reflection and stuff that I'm used to when I get away from it all. So uh, there we go. That's what the doctor has to say, Phil. <laughs> is that too much? I think that's good, man. I was enjoying it. It was and, on quite a high pace. So I apologise. That was hard to listen to. Well, it's a first example. Maybe that's the sort of thing which you can get a flavour for. If you want us to do a slightly different sort of prescription on your problem, then maybe you could email in and let us know what you want. And but, of course, let us know if you disagree with our diagnosis. We can yeah. have a Doctor's World Conference or whatever it is <laughs> and it'll present alternative viewpoints. Exactly, exactly. And also, if you want to hear more st- uh, stuff about uh, Lost in Translation, we did that movie moment, didn't we? Oh, that's one particular scene. There's a party sequence. Must scene. Yeah. In one of the earlier podcasts. So if you want to check that out as well, which episode is that? Right? I honestly can't even remember, Phil. That must have been a long time ago now. I'll try and tweet it. Yes, yeah, so do check it out as well if you want to hear more stuff on Lost in Translation. There we go. The doctors are out. <laughs> Let us know if you've got a similar thing. Next. Yes, that jingle means it. What we've been watching this week. This week we've been watching. Well, Laurie, what have you been watching? I have seen American Hustle by David O. Russell and I rewatched Rogue One, a Star oh, Wars no. story. Oh, no. Mm-mm-mm. Are we sure we're going to do that? Yes. Okay, I've seen Kingsman Secret Service the film by the same team that did Kick-Ass. That's Matthew Vaughan, isn't it? Yeah, Matthew Vaughan, Jane Goldman, Jonathan Ross's wife, whatever her name is. Also seen Avengers Age of Ultron. Ooh, interesting. Very much blockbuster heavy this week. It is, isn't it? You've seen both those before, have you? Or has Kingsman a first time thing? Uh, Both seen them both before. Okay, all right. So you're going to go first, right? Yeah, should I start with Kingsman? Do it. Kingsman. Huge IQ. Great performance at school. But you gave up. Drugs. Petty crime. Never had a job. It set you on a certain path. But you needn't stay on it. Who are you? The man who got you released. I've never met a tailor before, but I know you ain't one. Come with me. What do you see? I see a young man with potential. Pull the hook on your left. Oh, yes. Very nice. What does this do? Electrocute you. Don't be ridiculous. It's a hand grenade. Shut up. That is sick. We are an independent international intelligence agency operating at the highest level of discretion. Kingsman agents are the new knights. You are about to embark on the most dangerous job interview in the world. Felt sorry for the boy, did you? He will find this humiliating. He's as much Kingsman material as any of them. We're here to enhance your skills. Test you to limit. You need to solve problems under pressure. Like what to do when one of your group has no parachute. Interested. Manners make it man. I have trouble understanding you people sometimes. Y'all talk so funny.
There you go. Kingsman is a James Bond sort of parody. It's got that sort of irreverent humour of the kick-ass films and uh, sort of a comic book-esque vibe to it. It's based on, I think, a comic book as well. It stars Colin Firth, Taron Egerton, and also Samuel L. Jackson. That's right. Taron Egerton, most recently Eddie the Eagle Edwards. Very different character in here, but he's also called Eggsy. Yeah, he is, isn't he? And he plays sort of like a tough lad rather than a hopeless uh, skier. I think you mean a chav. I think he plays a chav. <laughs> this film's really weird because it's kind of got this Hunger Games vibe as he's sort of brought in to be maybe a new person to join the Kingsman, this sort of super spy organisation. But he's very much unlike the others. It's kind of Men in Black meets Hunger Games as there's sort of these contestants try and make it to the last round so that they can join the Kingsman. But also you've got this backdrop of Colin Firth being the sort of established super spy investigating Samuel L. Jackson's sort of villainous... Is he a mobile magnate or something? He's sort of a tech billionaire who's got sort of evil schemes for the world. Yes. And there's a really bizarre conversation actually which Colin Firth has uh, with Samuel Jackson over McDonald's. They go, he goes to his house and they're eating McDonald's as sort of a refined meal. And Samuel Jackson's there with his sort of lisp doing his little villainous sort of role. Yeah. And they talk about the spy movies, the super spy movies and how they kind of miss the kind of camp cheesy days of the old James Bond movies and how they've all become too serious. And that's kind of a weird sort of wink to the whole audience and the whole film and everything about it. Because How interesting. Yeah. it's sort of a return to the sort of Roger Moore-esque days. I've got an opinion on that, but I won't share it just yet. Can I come back to it, Phil? Yes, you can. Thank but, you. But, I mean, it's got all the sort of staples. It's got uh, these spies with super gadgets. Colin Firth walks around with an umbrella, which has got bulletproof wings. What do you call the bits of an umbrella? You know what I mean. Prongs? <laughs> I <don't laughs> Spokes? Know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's all bulletproof and you can shoot stuff out of it. And he's got like magnetic rings and explosions and all sorts so he's all kitted out you've got a villain who's got a bit of a funny weird element to him with his yes yeah you've got uh, a hench woman this time so a lady with those blades you know the sort of that's uh, right, running the, blades. Um, what's his name uh pastorius legs yeah and, pastorius but, legs yeah but with blades on the end yeah blades and so that's how she dispatches her enemies and so it's all kind of makes this sort of weird mishmash of a film that I really quite enjoyed. I thought it was really you liked good. It. Except for two scenes, two things which really stand <laughs> can I out. One of them. Yeah, I bet you can. There's the final a ch- scene. The final scene, and also there's a scene in a church, yeah. which is just yeah. so out of place with the rest of the tone of the movie. The the movie is meant to be edgy and a bit sort of vulgar and a bit sort of brash, sort of making fun of the suave sophisticatedness of James Bond, and sort of satirizing it. But then there's these two scenes which seems to be there almost out of sort of a perverse pleasure, and. It's overly violent in one and overly sexualized in another. That's right at the very end, which mm. is almost like a kind of tag gag, making fun of, again, James Bond right at the very that end. That was the thing that got the most press inches, that final scene. And it does stand out. It's just very bizarre. And you're like, what's going on? Yeah. But if you take those two scenes out, the church scene and the last scene, it's a really solid movie, which is quite enjoyable and makes quite a nice, succinct little world for another film to take place in. And indeed, they're doing another one. Uh, yeah, they are. You know, succinct is definitely the right word, Phil, because watching that trailer reminded me that it's actually very competently made, isn't it? I think that's something you've got to give to Matthew Vaughan is that he can handle quite an epic scale or a wide ranging plot. And he's very good at hammering it down to its essentials. So it doesn't feel fast paced. It doesn't feel slow. It just feels completely natural. So even though it's got quite an extended selection, process as well as an actual spy plot 
it doesn't feel like it drags. It doesn't feel like either one of those is shortchanged, does it? No, and it plays along quite well. I think a lot of credit has to go to the scriptwriter, who is Jonathan Ross's wife, Jane Goldman. I think we think it's it Jane Goldman, yeah. Yeah, we think it's Jane Goldman. But I think real credit needs to go to her because she's she's been a good little buddy to Matthew Vaughan, quite a few films. She's worked with him on Stardust and also in Kick-Ass. Yeah. And those three films, they're kind of slightly odd films. They don't seem to fit the normal Hollywood sort of mold. No, and I love Stardust. But they are three really well-made movies which have really good stories to them, I think, that play out well. Yeah. So I think this is a film, if you can sort of distance yourself from those that violent scene and that overly sexualized scene, I think you're probably going to enjoy it. It's very irreverent. But this is why I want to come back to you, Phil, because you said they have that scene where they make fun. Oh, they don't make fun. They talk about the, oh, I wish we could have cheesy camp, spy films that were fun. Films, yeah. the, the thing is, I think you're missing a really biting and quite a nasty edge to that conversation, which I think is attacking everyone. I think these guys have everyone in their sights because when they say that, Kingsman isn't really that. Kingsman is saying, yeah, is that what you want? All you old timers who love James Bond and say, I wish James Bond could go back to how it was. They're like, well, actually, this is what it would be like if you did the cheesy stuff of James Bond, but today. And guess what? It's foul-mouthed, it's overly sexualized, and actually it's super violent. Well, I think it's contextualizing a lot of the old James Bond ideas into a modern shell so it's and revealing being... how hideous it would be. Mm, um, I think I think it's a lot more mean spirited uh, than it, than uh, than that. Yeah, I I can see what you're saying, and that's quite an interesting little take. But I don't I don't agree with you. I well, think. otherwise, how do you excuse that church sequence and the final scene as well? Because sequence... I don't think the screenwriters would approve of either of those things. I think the church sequence is designed to be sort of this insane action piece that sort of is going to be memorable and it's got that free bird music to it. I think it's overly violent. It's grotesque. It's presenting. It's supposed to make you think that's cool with the soundtrack and the the way it's shot as well. But I think, interestingly, I think probably people will think it's cool. Do you think so? I think the target market for this film, I think, will think it's cool. The last one, I think, is literally just a bad taste joke. That's all it is. It's out of place, but it's a bad taste joke because it's making fun of James Bond getting on I with the girl at the very end. That. I don't know. And, and it certainly achieved its intended effect. It got I, the press. I'm going to give this film a B plus. I think it's a well-made film. I'm quite excited to see a sequel. Interesting. Okay. Thanks, Well, That was great. Uh, shall I do uh, American Hustle? Yes. All right. Here we go. American Hustle. I, I, I believe that you should treat people the way that you want to be treated. Didn't yeah. Jesus say that? Yeah. Right. Also, always take a favor over money. I think Jesus said that as well. I don't know if you said the second one, but you might have said the first one. Everybody thought, oh, Richie DeMaso's going to stay in the office. I'm outside on the field. I got people working for me. My ideas. I'm running the show. I'm the quarterback, and I'm not going to settle. It's not for me to say. He wasn't necessarily in good shape, and he had this comb over that was rather elaborate. He had this confidence that drew me to him. My father, he taught me to believe that all people are good and to be good to all people. Life is ridiculous. Hey, play your part. Fine, you play your part. Did you ever have to find a way to survive? And you knew your choices were bad, but... You had to survive. We were so successful for so long because we kept it just small enough. If you're that successful, how come you wound up in this room with me right now? Taking orders from me. This is Agent DeMasso, placing $75,000 in this briefcase for Mayor Carmine Polito.
gotta get over on all these guys. That's what we need to be thinking about right now. We gotta get over on all these guys. It's gotta be the best we've ever done. Yeah, that's real style, Phil. Forget Kingsman, the Secret Service doesn't even apply. If only you'd done a boring film. <laughs> uh, yeah, American Hustle is a David O. Russell film that very loosely tracks the Abscam scandal, where they use real con men, uh, and a con man and a woman, I think it was Mel... Oh, you don't know, what? carry on. And it's Mel Weinstein or something like that. I did, I looked it all up, and, and his then uh, girlfriend at the time... Uh, they got caught, and the FBI said, Look, help us and basically trap these US congressmen and political figures into making shady deals, blah, 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 blah. This one is all about that, but it takes huge liberties in a David O. Russell way. So everything we said about Joy, if you've been listening long enough to hear our review of that basically applies to this film the camera is being held by a drunk person <laughs> as it sways around the room very long shots improvised dialogue uh, where they cl- hit clear story points but you can just tell the actors that they're living and breathing their roles they love it don't they yeah and it, the thing is i i just don't think anyone is doing that quite as successfully as david o russell at the moment and getting such strong performances out of his stars and you know this stars christian bale is playing this guy who's irving in this film who's based on this mel weinstein guy and he's great he has the most ludicrous comb over you've ever seen but he's meticulous with it and you very quickly believe that he's not christian bale anymore or at least i did i just thought yeah he's irving he's the con artist just in the same way amy adams is playing this woman who's reinvented herself a whole load of times sydney is her american name and then she gets involved with irving they start going out having a great time and down the line he tries to involve her in his scams and it doesn't look like it's going to go well and then she decides to get on board and she pretends to be lady edith this english lady and she is terrific as well i really started believing that she was the person that she seemed to be same goes again for jennifer lawrence who plays irving's really troublesome wife uh, who i think they call histrionic as she has histrionic personality disorder or something which is hugely attention seeking and very manipulative very funny but very brassy as well and i think you thought she was over sexualized didn't you well i just think it was it, the character doesn't seem to match her confidence you reckon? Uh, he, he, she sort of seems to be a bit of a house housewife, sort of trapped in trapped in her home. Doesn't can't seem to escape it, and then suddenly she's embroiled in this thing, and she's wearing these sort of super slim dresses. And- but that's what I, I think. That's why they say she's histrionic because although she is a very ordinary person, she can play the melodramatic, you know, actor like no one else. And then Bradley Cooper makes up the foursome, really, doesn't he? He's got incredibly tight permed curls, <laughs> and he plays an FBI agent who smells opportunity in these talented con artists. So when he manages to trap them, he he persuades them to get involved and help him take down these congressmen and, and the plan gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it almost spirals out, spirals out of control. The key figure in that kind of sting is the unwitting Jeremy Renner who plays the mayor of Camden I think it is uh, Carmine Polito I think they call him. He's yeah. based on a real character as well a totally beloved very charming Italian politician who genuinely seems to act on the best interests of the citizens of his place but he occasionally does it through shady deals because there's no other way to to get it done so yeah listeners it's a it's an assault on the senses the costumes are loud the music is is really well chosen very of its time in the 70s the shouting and the sort of stream of consciousness dialogue that's half improvised from the actors is hard to keep up with especially when they start doing a heist which by its very nature involves double dealing and confusing expectations and tough planning it's all hard to follow 
but it is undeniably compelling, I think, for every single minute. I would agree, but do you not think that that is kind of a contradiction, having a heist movie which is all about what what's happening, who's who, and what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve, and then having improvisation? Like, improvisation and heist don't go together. Don't, I think it does, because what David, as we said with Joy, he prefers character portraits, right, than plot. And if you're intimately involved with these characters, it makes sense that you start to feel like, how is this holding together? It feels like you're on the edge of your seat so you think all the time. that serves the movie? Yeah, definitely, because it makes it feel like the whole thing could fall apart at any minute, which I don't doubt is a very real experience for people involved in con work. Oh, you have to ride the edge of your seat the whole way through. And that they do some really great edgy sequences where everyone sat around the table and everyone appears to be pretending to be someone that they aren't really. You get very nervous. And then, of course, Robert De Niro turns up. Uh, at one point to add in an extra level of nervousness uh, to all of it and he does that very well it's a bit part i'm surprised they got him but but he really nails it is there anything which you didn't like in the film though because i i get the sense that this is a film which made a big splash at the time i think it got oscar nominations and it did like all four acting categories best and supporting for both men and women but then i i think it's kind of fallen by the wayside i don't think it's something a film that people talk about anymore I think a lot of the stuff I read about it at the time was there's way more efforts gone into the look and the feel and the costumes and the style and the pizzazz compared with the story. I think that totally misses the mark because I think the characters are really strong. The performances are so good that you believe in these characters. And it made me fascinated in the real scandal. It made me want to try and piece it all together. It made me sympathetic and frustrated with people. I, I just think film moves too fast these days. There's not enough time for things to become classics unless they're a Star Wars film, basically. So I think people should watch it if they haven't seen it. Okay. Especially as an introduction to David O. Russell, because it's more accessible than Joy. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. Joy is, Joy is a very difficult one. It's very bizarre, sort of fable-like at times. Well, it sort of crosses gritty. genres. It's very, yeah, odd, odd, Whereas odd. this is a sting. It's a heist and a sting movie. Yeah, so at least its genre is consistent throughout the film. Yeah. So for me, it gets an A-, minus, and a big shout-out goes to Jeremy Renner, who I thought was the best I've ever seen him in this. He, I, he, I, it, compared to the others, I instantly believed he was who he said he was, and it's a role that's totally against type for him as well. That is, I can believe that. Jeremy Renner is not normally the sort of sincere guy, is he? I sense you're about to add your own thoughts on Jeremy Renner as an actor, Phil. Perhaps I will in Age of Ultron. Avengers, Age of Ultron. <laughs> I'm going to show you something beautiful. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world? But you don't want it to change. You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. Strings. It's the end. The end of the path I started us on. Nothing lasts forever. Now I'm free. There are no strings on me. Well, I'm having flashbacks of tedium, desperation, and misery, Phil. What's that? I don't know. No reason. <laughs> Age of Ultron is the second one of the Avengers film, the big kind of capstone 
to the Marvel films that have kind of been coming out for various characters. And the the Avengers film are kind of meant to be a celebration as the whole team comes together. You've got Thor, mm. you've got Iron Man, you've got Captain America, you've got Scarlet Widow, whatever. That and teaser trailer was viewed 80 million times. That's not surprise me. I remember watching that movie trailer and being really excited and buzzing. I was I like, wow, it's going to be amazing. Strings. And I thought, oh, it's so clever. <laughs> you know, here's a, here's a creation of Tony Stark's. He's made this robot to protect the world and in the end he's ended up putting together the most dangerous threat it's ever faced and he's now got no strings to hold him down he's free he's going to destroy his creator how very poetic and very disney may i say (laughs) yeah i mean it does tie into that whole disney crosslinks thing that you hate but anyway regardless of that i found this film just frustrating and tedious oh you said tedious as well i'm glad and irritating because it's got all the characters there a really solid idea for a good movie and it wastes it all because it's so busy setting up other stuff that it's not that isn't going to come up until four or five films later down this big old conveyor belt of films mm, it's annoying isn't it it is really annoying and this film it really shouldn't be like this it shouldn't be like this because this is the whole point is this is the coming together of all that stuff right it's the culmination of all these other little mini films that have hints and teasers and and suggestions about where this story's going and then it's meant to collide in the avengers film and it's going to be a big uh climax basically you have a big explosion of an event of a film and then that fractures out into the next section of the storyline that's what it should be this film instead has its the core story that it wants to tell, the idea of Tony Stark, Iron Man, wanting to protect the world and in, in the end making a bigger threat and what that means and whether or not the Avengers are actually good for the world or harm the world. That's what the story's about. And it's quite a good idea for a story, especially with superheroes, slightly retrodden at this point, but it's a good idea. And, and you've got Ultron, this kind of megalomaniac, or, I can't say the word. You said it, it's fine. We all got it. Robot that's deadly, who could be more dangerous to any of the Avengers than ever before. And it just feels wasted because suddenly Thor's running off to go into like a rock pool, which they don't ever explain and having visions of something which is only now just turning up as they just released the the Thor Ragnarok trailer, which doesn't really relate to what he saw in the pool. So I don't know what that was about. You've got hints of what's going to happen with Captain America and Iron Man in Civil War. But then at the end of this film, they completely mishandle the setup for that film, if that's where the film was going. It just it's so annoying because... Amongst all this rubbish that they're trying to set up the kind of arcs of these characters, all these different characters, there's actually some really nice scenes that are really well done. Really? I can't think of a single one. The scene where they're all sat around in the Avengers Tower discussing whether or not they can lift up Thor's hammer. You know, Thor's hammer can oh, only, yes, I do only be picked up by somebody worthy and then they each have a go. That's such a well, well done scene. It's so fun. It's so fresh. It's all about the characters being the characters and it's entirely... Which enjoy- is all anyone actually wants to see, right? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's here the characters being the characters. Look at them being the characters. Aren't they fun? You get to see them, know them. They're all interacting. That's what the Avengers movie should all be about. And it's funny enough, that's a scene which they use to trail the movie. And I think it's by far the best scene in the whole movie because it's fun. It's actually fun. And then the rest of the time, it seems to be convoluted and messy and action sequences go on far too long. They, yeah. they go to the, the mythical land of Wakanda. Oh, yeah, that's, they do. That's well, they the mention, opening, they went, mention Wakanda because uh, Wakanda is going to be Man. Black Panther, where Black Panther's from. from so they're already War. setting, yeah, they're already <laughs> setting something up. But they don't need to mention Wakanda. Like, you don't care about Wakanda. Phil, you're missing. This is, this is why I spent so long, ages of episodes ago, talking about how much I hate the extended cinematic universe thing. 
But this is what's annoying is that you can kind of forgive it in these minor films, the character films, the Thors, the well, that's because they're supposed to feed into the juggernauts. Exactly. But when the juggernaut is feeding out, too busy (laughs) feeding the other films, Mm. what are we? What are we doing with our lives? You're watching a big commercial franchise, is what which is all about. Watch the next one. Watch the next one. Watch the next one, and not just telling a simple story, telling a good story. They had all the ingredients for a good story, and instead, what they do is they bog it down in messy extra bits. And what's even more annoying is that the, the final act, the big kind of crescendo of this is, in fact, I think, mishandled. I think Joss Whedon uh, is very good at doing action. Well, pieces. that's what I was going to ask you, because this is the film that I think eventually led Joss Whedon to disappear from Twitter, is it not? I think he got a lot of criticism and he wasn't able to handle it. Well, he got into some criticism because of some line he made about Black Widow's character. Oh, and right. And in fact, he criticised Disney, I think, didn't he? Yeah, what's, what's funny is the fact that uh, Josh Whedon is, uh, is quite a, an advocate for feminist rights and, yes. and feminist ideas, but then he wrote a scene which some people twisted and misunderstood, and then he had to apologise for saying something anti, anti-feminist or, or something. It all got convoluted. But then also there's all this stuff about him criticising Disney because Disney uh, said he had to do a certain sort of yeah, cut, yeah. and then he said he wouldn't do the movie if he couldn't have one particular scene, which is them all going to kind of a farmhouse and having a bit more character time. Yes. And he said, if I I can't do that then i'm not like i'm gonna complain and oh, a fuss. you see when you turn against disney you're never heard from again where's he gone <laughs> i think this is the film where you really feel the juggernaut taking over the disney making the money machine just rumbling on it's like ultron it's come alive and it's mm. it's taking over everything it's, it's destroying everything what have we created exactly what have we created <laughs> it's quite appropriate in that sense so phil what's the grade man i've got to say i'm glad to hear you talking about this like this because we saw it together almost immediately after my first child was born i was exhausted and i hated it <laughs> you did hate it. <laughs> i liked it a bit more at the time but watching it again i was just really frustrated i didn't like the action sequences they're too long there's one sequence where they go to a boat and there's all these characters firing off and there's not enough space for any of them to do anything really exciting. And then it goes immediately into the, a scene where uh, Iron Man has to fight the Hulk and it's too much and it's just overblown and there's not enough space to really let you just digest what you're watching and make it exciting. The characters get lost amongst the action, which is a real shame. I haven't mentioned one thing and then I'll get to my grade. <laughs> or maybe I'll give you my say. grade. The grade I'm going to give it is a... Is a uh, C plus, I okay, think. Okay, all right. I, I think it's not a well done movie and, it, and I'm really bothered by all the marketing stuff. But Jeremy Renner is in it as Hawkeye and Hawkeye is a slightly sort of forgotten son of the first Avengers movie and people sort of made fun of him for not being in it. He's just an archer, isn't he? He's just a guy with a bow and they make fun of that in this movie. He says, I don't know if you can find a clip. Okay, look, the city is flying. We're fighting an army of robots and I have a bow and arrow. None of this makes sense. Yeah, none of it makes sense. Why is he there? Why do I care about Hawkeye? <laughs> I think you'll get. That's one of the best things about the film because they turn him into a sort of father figure, don't they? But I think no. Why? Why are they trying to shove Hawkeye down my throat? I don't like Hawkeye. <laughs> I don't want him. Why are you trying to make oh, me love dear. him? This is how I feel about Jeremy Renner, full stop, because I loved him in American Hustle. And my overall impression of this guy is that everyone knows they've got a talent on their hands, but they just cannot figure where to put him. They tried to put him in Mission Impossible, but Tom Cruise was like, no, I'm not letting this guy take over. Get out. You can, now you can just be on the side, be the administrator. They tried to put him in the Bourne films. He's instantly gone because everyone hated the film. <laughs> they tried to make him Hawkeye in this, and everyone's like, what's this, this rubbish character you're talking about? I just feel for the guy. He just can't land. But funny enough, he just turned down appearing in Mission Impossible 6 so really? that he could be a cameo in the next Ant-Man and the next what? other thing. He, he wants to be Hawkeye again because I'm guessing that's where the most money is. Oh, and he'd boy. rather do the Marvel films and be kind of a little offshoot character. He was be, good in Mission Impossible. It, be sad. in the Mission Impossible films. Yeah, I think it's very weird. And I just don't get why 
I guess maybe Marvel and Disney, they're just like, we need to make this character work so we can sell more toys, so that we can, I don't know, keep this weird monster alive. Fair and well. Age of Ultron, what a disappointment. <laughs> what a disappointment. Well, it's nice to hear you sounding like me for a change. It's not just me who's Mr. Doom and Gloom. But, but what's, uh, what, last thing, and then... Come on, man. Uh, last Look, thing, people sorry, have got sorry, no sorry, stamina sorry. left. Last thing is, I think what's interesting is that Doctor Strange and all the other movies, when they've got away from that sort of juggernaut thing, the move, these movies work well. I think they do have a formula that is winning, but when the juggernaut is there and is full, full omnipresent, force, just ugh, I don't want it. Well, I mean, that's what I've been saying from the beginning. That's all I'll say. Shall I move on to my next review? Maybe I'm maturing. <laughs> okay. So I have also seen, again, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. Can you be trusted without your shackles? Let's just get this over with, shall we? We have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. We need to know how to destroy it. If you're really doing this, I want to help. Good. Good. I've been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. We destroyed our home. I fight the Empire now. I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. The captain says you are a friend. I will not kill you. Thanks. There isn't much time. Every day they grow stronger. There's a 97.6% chance of failure. It means well. This is our chance to make a real difference. Are you with me? All the way. Yes, the Star Wars bear moth that Phil and I criticised and got absolutely destroyed for. <laughs> and you're going to get back to it. <laughs> I am. Well, you know, listeners, I said right at the time, I can't actually remember the grade we gave it. I'm pretty sure I gave it a B minus or a B, one of those. Uh, I said, I suspect this film will improve if I watch it again. And Phil, the truth is, it did improve somewhat. I think not watching it at the cinema on the TV screen somehow improved it. It, it, it. All the locations looked brighter to me and I could appreciate things a lot easier. Something about the scale seemed to suit the TV screen better. Probably not a good thing. <laughs> uh, the, the second part of it was that it not being a midnight screening and me not having any expectations at all, because I'd already seen it, really transformed the way that I was able to engage with the film. Because you're able to just relax and enjoy it for what it was. That's exactly what it was. So I wasn't put off by the huge number of references that are kind of needless. Instead, I knew they were going to be there, so I could just kind of let them roll past, and it didn't bother me. And it meant I was more able to engage. Just with wave the at them line. as they go by. Exactly. I still don't think it's that good a movie, but I certainly don't think it's awful. I think it is your standard blockbuster, but with some beautiful space-age stuff. In some ways, it does do some things better than The Force Awakens, because it is more willing to use 
stuff in its original context so some of the design of the start the rebel briefing rooms uh the design of the ships generally the way that it's shot and like i said the lighting is very bright that was all quite nice like the the scene towards the end when they're on the tropical island planet is really well lit it's not easy to film a see a, a sequence with a lot of cgi when it's in well lit yeah, or action true. as well and actually gareth edwards does a really good job of staging all of that so that you have a pretty clear idea about where people are and what's happening I think the stuff that hamstrings the film is characters. He, well, the characters are just, they're just average blockbuster characters. I actually don't think they're much worse than some of the Marvel characters, in my opinion. They have much less time to build them up. They're slightly blank slates, but they kind of have to be for the pace that the film sets. The stuff that's annoying is the need for a backstory didn't need to be there. I think someone said we need to really flesh Jin's character out and give her, you know, motivation. Fail. The film, that's the opening scenes are some of the worst in the entire film, including Mr. Shakespeare and actor. I'll never get out of here. My arm, I can't climb. I'm playing on both your houses. <laughs> and that guy's still good value. Uh, all the bad, a lot of bad stuff happens at the beginning. And I wish they just forget that. All the references, not really needed. Sure, they make fans go, woo, like this, yeah, we're great. But they're not necessary. They didn't need to be there. They didn't add to the atmosphere. And K2SO, I appreciated more this time. I didn't, still didn't laugh anything he said by the jokes weren't as clunky as they seemed to me on the first run through i think you and i were absolutely completely and utterly flawed and destroyed by our disappointment uh, because of what we hoped it would be and what it absolutely was not the key thing that's different about it it does not have the star wars tone that we have become used to because of six or seven films in the franchise it is a different tone i still don't think it's a war movie i still think there are huge problems with it but i enjoyed it more and I particularly enjoyed Felicity Jones's performance more this time around for two reasons. When she's not talking, she's pretty good. <laughs> when, <laughs> That's when, always what you want to hear about being an actress. <laughs> well, it's when there's a pit where she's hiding in the alleyway. The, the sequence, the street fight with the stormtroopers in the tank, it's actually pretty good. That's pretty well staged, you know, and it, it sort of makes sense. When she comes out of the alleyway, she sees the girl there and she goes and saves the girl. It's a bit of a dumb moment, but she does that really well. She acts it well. Her expressions are very good. And there's a bit where she shoots a stormtrooper like out of the side when she's running away that worked really well and i suddenly thought oh i believe this woman is like a rebel commando i get it the problem is when she delivers some of her lines the lines are so atrociously written that no one can make them good and felicity jones in particular has a bad habit i suddenly noticed which is at the end of a line that is important and dramatic she'll close her mouth really fast so i'm going to do this for you phil now i'm going to say well that's what i thought i didn't realize that it was going to be in fact, why don't you go home? And she just like, it's like a fish going, <laughs> the mouth closes too fast. That's such it, a weird, I'm not sure that's a thing. Is you've got to watch it because once I've said it, you won't be able to unsee it. And it really wrecks some of her performance. Do you know Kristen Stewart gets criticized for having her mouth open all the time? If Felicity Jones had done that, it would have been better. <laughs> so for what you saying if Christian Stewart had been Jen Ursa, it would have been better. I wonder what that would have been like. I don't know whether it would have been I better. I wonder if maybe it would have worked better. Interesting. Anyway, I basically, listeners, I can I can slightly see why our strong reaction was so mystifying to a lot of people. Because if you didn't have such a weight of expectation, then I think you're able to appreciate it in a different way. Do you think it's maybe a pendulum swing? So those who really, really enjoyed it 
probably might when watching it again it might drop a bit yeah because it, it's certainly not it's not brilliant but it is enjoyable so there you go I, I, I can't change my grade because that would be a bad thing to do phil but no, you can um, change yeah. it if you feel like it's not reflective no no i won't change it it's okay i think it, it's a b or a b minus one of those two one final thing to say is that i watched it with my wife judith who's not as familiar with star wars as me she didn't notice Tarkin's cgi face that is astounding to me how is that me possible? too and actually that is really awful Tarkin's so much worse than Princess Leia's Carrie Fisher's because he's in the film so much. I, I realised I had to rewind. So I had to rewind that scene when he first appears, put on subtitles so that I could actually understand what had happened in the scene. Because it's so distracting. It's so distracting. I couldn't. I just couldn't engage. It was a terrible decision. But at the same time, Judith didn't even notice it. So who knows? I still don't understand why they didn't just have him facing away. That would have been perfect. And, and then, then you, you just talk else. to his back because he's a commander. He doesn't care what you think. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. And poor Darth Vader, he sounds very old. I understand why they didn't let him talk uh, in the final scene. Yeah. Right. That's me out on Rogue One, but you should watch it again, Phil. I'd like to know what you think. I have been tempted to watch it again and just reevaluate my decision. That's it. That's what we've been watching. We went on for a long time, as it turned out. Hopefully you managed to trim it down a little bit. Sorry. Let's hope I did. Okay. Emails to come and then we're out. All right. Just a few emails and tweets. We'll speed through them and then it's the end of the show. End of the show show. Number one, Nicholas got in touch. At Super Baby Bros. Good review of Free Fire. Was afraid you might have walked out of the cinema. I can see why you'd worry. Uh, love the bleeps in a movie clip. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. That was fun to do, wasn't it? I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's quite funny listening back. I hope you managed to watch that, Nicholas, Free Fire. I'd like to know what other people's thoughts are. And I sense not that many people have or are going to watch it. So, yeah, someone go see it. <laughs> Tell me what you think. Uh, he also mentioned Kill List as a potential film to do for our movie clinic thing which is another old one of ben wheatley's nicholas i haven't seen that yet and i know that benedict replied in that thread and he hasn't seen it either but we will see whether we can get on it that'd be good that'd be cool maybe that'll be you then phil oh gosh uh alistair says that super very very saw free fire and loved it very funny and unlike reservoir dogs i much preferred it uh so that's interesting i disagree i think reservoir dogs is superior but there we go Reservoir Dogs is quite a nasty film, though, I think. There's one particular scene that is harrowing. But then that's what I said Free Fire needed, right? Free Fire was too anodyne. It needed a bit of extreme stuff in it somewhere. Reservoir Dogs is definitely memorable. You don't forget it once you see it, that's for sure. That's true. Well, there you go. Thanks for letting us know, Alistair. Uh, we got an email here from Johnny Valentine. He said, Dear Laurie and Phil, the film that immediately came to mind when you talked about the worst film ever, that Super Belly Bros most hated film, was The Notebook. Oh, right. Okay. Let's, are there reasons for it? Yes. It is a film which, when I think about it, I actually start to feel myself getting angry. <laughs> I think it is also the pinnacle of the mountain of trash that is Hollywood romance movies. Ooh, zing. <laughs> My biggest problem is this. They are completely unrealistic in the depiction of love. The love that Hollywood has here is the love that is all-consuming and possessive. It's completely inward-looking and does not think about the consequences. But I don't think that's love. I think that's obsession. That's what people say about the Twilight films as well. Yeah, I was just thinking that as well. Now, I want to add a caveat. I'm a married man, a happily married man, in fact, and I love my wife. Jolly good. Congratulations. She's great. So I'm not writing this as someone who's cynical or hasn't found the one or anything. I'm someone who knows what love is and feels like Hollywood, epitomised by the notebook, is sailing us down the wrong river. It sounds Ooh. like the start to an article. Uh, here are my <laughs> least favourite bits. We are conditioned to hate the guy that McAdams is engaged to, yet as far as we know, he's actually done nothing wrong. He's just not Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I genuinely felt really sorry for him in the film and thought McAdams was an idiot for ditching him. There is a bit at the end with old Ryan Gosling at the home with his sick wife. I do agree that he's amazingly sweet with her, but what saddens me is that he just completely ignores his kids. He's their father, and I know he cares for his wife, but the film seems to say that nothing else matters, even your kids, I guess. 
apart from the one, which, to be honest, is complete tripe and puts an unbelievable <laughs> burden on the object of your affection to fulfill everything. The way they set up an idealized life is all about them means no one else is involved. They live in isolation, and that is crazy and unhealthy, he says. <laughs> uh, geese are actually scary and aggressive. I would not like to paddle through loads of them. <laughs> I don't, you see, I haven't seen the notebook. This so. is a guy who's had to watch the notebook a couple of times. Each time he's just been like, that's so ridiculous. I mean, seriously, that bit of a geese, honestly. <laughs> uh, well, I, I mean, this is, sounds a bit like what you and I talked about in our first ever show, was it? The rom-com rival thing. Yeah, the rom-com rival when they have to make... But the thing is, in the notebook, it's unusual because the guy that is the rival to Ryan Gosling is literally just super nice. Oh, really? Just he's, boring or something? He's really nice, but he's just not the one, as uh, Johnny Valentine is pointing out. So it is, isn't, in fact, the evil rom-com rival so much as just the rom-com rival. It's just the rom-com rival, but it's not even like a... I think his point is you can't root against this guy. He's a nice guy. So why are we rooting against him? Yeah, interesting. This is kind of the opposite of what I think Lost in Translation is, if you listened... Uh, uh, to our um, movie clinic thing earlier this does seem to be glamorizing an affair sort of yeah i guess so it's a kind of, it's an odd thing lots of these romance novels and stories and things like that uh, and and movies as well often they if you put them in a new context they're quite creepy like yeah. in twilight you mentioned it earlier it is quite a creepy idea here's this this guy edward who must protect his this woman from anything that might hurt her and he he, he starts to watch her as she sleeps it's the like, protection thing is generally it's a just, bit creepy it's just isn't weird it? isn't it and yeah. so there's that kind of odd thing between romance and creepiness I mean, like that's kind of the whole point of Phantom of the Opera, isn't it? Well, Phil, you are you are on fire. Uh, I guess so. I haven't even seen Phantom of the Opera. But like the idea I? of like love is—is is it love a good thing or is it something sinister and dark sure, when it's obsession? Sure. Interesting. Well, listeners, there is one listeners a most hated film of all time. I wonder whether you agree with him about the Notebook or vehemently disagree, as I don't doubt some listeners will. Uh, he also adds that he hates Saw, the Saw franchise. He just thinks it's horrible. Why would anyone watch it? Yeah, I've never understood the whole appeal of that sort of thing. I think it's sort of morbid curiosity. That's, That's the, the only thing. thing I can think it is. Well, he says it's not, it doesn't make you jump. It's not about scares. It's just image after image, he says, of things I do not ever want to see. So, yeah, we, and he also mentions maybe Benedict is the right uh, consultant doctor <laughs> for that session. I think he might be right. That would be interesting to get his verdict on what he thinks horror films should be about and what their purpose is. What the appeal ought to be. It, you know, Saw is interesting because my wife has seen it and she is not a horror fan at all but she said yeah i thought the plot was quite interesting so she seems immune to it maybe we should get her i on. think the first to be fair the first saw film was different from the other ones it was a bit more of a psychological thriller maybe that's what it was then and then as it, as the film franchise went on it became more and more sort a bit of more a grotesque sort of hostile game sort of thing yeah okay uh he adds at the end also wondered if you guys could do a section on book versus film at some point are there times when the film has ever beaten a book well johnny if you've been listening for a long time you might have already heard that section i suppose but maybe that's something a follow-up Russ could come in and that's, sort of say. Just to decide, that wasn't as snarky as it sounded. I think <laughs> it sounded very snarky. It sounded very mean. I was trying to rescue it and no, say. No, something like more than 30 episodes ago or something, like a really long time ago, we had an author friend of ours, Ross Thompson, in, and we discussed adaptations. In fact, in two long sections, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he was a great guest, and uh, we need to get him back on a man. Yeah, we do. But there we go. Johnny, thank you very much for that email. Keep in touch with your movie hates. Thanks, Johnny. Okay, Esther, quick one, following up on her email last week, said, watch after the storm. We both admitted we haven't seen it. Uh, prediction, Laurie will like it, Phil won't. But just saying this will probably influence the outcome. <laughs> I can That's already interesting. Phil is reacting. No, I'm going to like it now. Would you know, dare something, you? something I discovered, Esther, is that the director is Hirokazu Koreda, the guy who directed I Wish, which I reviewed last week. So I don't doubt that I probably will love After the Storm. That's an interesting thing, though. Have you ever liked a film in spite of someone else? 
Oh, definitely I have, yeah. Because I love the film Something's Gotta Give, mostly because my parents said, our parents said, oh, you wouldn't get it, you have to be older to understand That's it. And true, I was like, no, I that. don't, I'm going to love it now. And I do actually really enjoy it, How even though funny. I'm not a 50-year-old But you sort of man. make yourself do it. Just no, I genuinely, to... I genuinely did like it, but it was almost like to prove them wrong. That's that is why a good, I watched that it. That is a good thought, man. We should come back to that. I like that. And a final one here from the Pixel Bro, got back in touch, and he's uh, giving us his thoughts on love and friendship, which I reviewed a long time ago. It's a film I saw directed by Whip Stillman, and it's Kate Beckinsale. It's almost, well, in fact, it is based on a Jane Austen novella, but it has quite a different feel from your standard Jane Austen It's one movie. of the later ones. She didn't finish it, right? No, it's one it? of her earlier ones, when, oh, she, right. when she went when she was very young, and it's been adapted and filled out. So this is what uh, the Pixel Bro says. This was better than you said, Laurie. So minus one, I'm afraid. Ah, Music to your ears, Phil. It is indeed. Much better handling of the material than the modern filmic Pride and Prejudice slash TV persuasion. So that's the Keir Knightley one he doesn't like from The Sound of Things. Keir Knightley's one is great, just saying. (laughs) Uh, I watched it with my wife, he says, who said that it was faithful to the book. That's the Juvenilia, I think is the name of it, novel that Jane Austen wrote. I don't think the message from the film or the director is that there's only cynicism and self-interest in all relationships. It's more nuanced. Uh, It's more a case of presenting lots of ways people's flaws prevent attaining an ideal they still believe exists. Did you understand that sentence, Phil? Can you interpret it for me? (laughs) He says it's more about uh, showing you that people are flawed and their flaws uh, stop them from getting the amazing relationship that they think exists. Does that make sense? So, so their flaws prevent it's, them from it's finding love. It's a realistic picture. Exactly, yeah. Although it's not from finding love, it's that they obviously have a picture of what an amazing relationship looks like, but they can't see it's their own flaws that stop them reaching it. Ah, interesting. There we go. Four sentences for one. Yes. (laughs) Let's move on. I don't think Lady Susan, that's Kate Beckinsale's character, is presented as a sympathetic character at all. Her, in quotes, victory at the end is as much due to chance as her design. And the question of whether she in fact planned the whole thing or was outsmarted by her daughter, perhaps, is left satisfyingly open. The whole film is an example of good ambiguity going way back to an early Super Baby Bros feature. Obviously, he has been listening very well to previous episodes. And he gave Love and Friendship an A-. Just remind me quickly what your thoughts were on the film. Love and Friendship, I felt, um, I thought it did carry quite a hefty dose of New York cynicism. And I admit that's probably affected by the interview, the Q&A that Whit Stillman gave afterwards. And me looking at his back catalogue and stuff. Because Lady Susan, Kate Beckinsale's character, is presented as this strong, manipulative person who knows how to get what she wants and is, is willing to use anyone to achieve her own ends. And I thought the film was trying to suggest that that was positive and trying to say, yeah, you go, you go. You go, them. girl. And, there's a, and there are a lot of articles on that theme as well. Uh, I, I, I just didn't really like it. I thought, oh, it just makes everything feel a bit yucky. It reminds me of some of Woody yucky. Allen's... <laughs> yeah, it was some of Woody Allen's movies, I think I might have said this, where Woody Allen seems to think he gets what love is all about and no one else does. We've talked about this before. Yeah. And so he often presents relationships where the implication or the overwhelming feeling of the script is, come on, admit it. Everyone's like this, really. And I disagree with him. And you're like, no, no, no. I disagree with Woody Allen very strongly on most things, <laughs> as it would turn out. Uh, yeah, so a, a really interesting thoughts, though, Pixel Bro. I don't doubt a lot of people agree with you and disagree with me. Thank you very much for putting it so eloquently. Guys, that's it for emails this week. Thanks so much to those who've got in touch. Really good emails this week. Yeah, they were. And, well, actually, every week's great. Great emails. Every week every is week. a great email week. Oh, but every Thank week. you very much. We uh, What was that phrase? Uh, big or small, we love them all. Correct. Thank you very much for those emails. And uh, if you'd like to email in the show with your thoughts on films that we've reviewed, films that we haven't, just films 
Just thoughts on films. It's a conversation, as a modern marketing seminar would put it. <laughs> exactly. You can reach us at Super Bailey Bros on Twitter, or you can email us superbaileybros at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've seen uh, Fast and Furious 8 and you've got thoughts on yes. that, send them Laurie's way or my way, and we'll be eager and pleased to read them. Correct. And, you know, we read everything you send us, so go for it. Do do it. Don't be afraid. Laurie's nice, really. <laughs> Do you know, Phil, I felt like we were going to come way under our normal timestamp. I don't know, we've done a lot of segments this uh, this time. I've quite enjoyed it. It's been nice to do a variety. We've kind of been swallowed up by the number of films that have been out recently. And now that we've got slightly less films to review, we've been having a bit more space, been a bit quicker. A bit more chatty chat stuff. Chat, chat, chat. Chat, chat, chat. Maybe with that, something we can keep doing. Listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed uh, all the stuff we talked about. Do send us your thoughts, as Phil mentioned earlier, on anything. The film reviews, the uh, Doctor's Clinic thing for Lost in Translation, your thoughts on Jude Law's unusual screen test for uh, the sequels (laughs) to Fantastic Beasts. Yeah. Send it all to superbeddybros at gmail.com at superbeddybros on Twitter and we shall be back next week sayonara ta-ta for now bye-bye listeners this is a bit of an experiment for us because what we've done is use the headphone splitter to give ourselves a live feed of the audio and normally phil and i don't do that because there's a bit of latency with my machine which means that the sound comes out like a fraction of a second after i say it and you can hear both can't you yeah, you can hear it's like a weird double voice. Almost an echo or something. And this is something I've actually tried to do once before intentionally. I was doing a live thing and I was pretending to be a robot and I'd set up all these filters on the voice and I'd done this sort of relay thing through the right. audio system. Yeah. So I would sound like a robot. But the problem was <laughs> it came out even slower than this. Oh, no. And there's something really weird that happens to you. I think it's like a scientific thing. Is it really? Yeah. If you can hear your own voice at a delay, it becomes impossible. It becomes impossible to keep talking now and i've set this challenge to phil in a minute i'm going to switch off his live vocal and switch on a delayed vocal so he is going to hear an echo of himself as he talks and we're all going to enjoy <laughs> oh, him <no>. slowing down <laughs> I, so i've got um the beginning of Brian prejudice if it works too well because you've got the text in front of you then i might ask you to say something off the top of your head okay we'll okay. see how it goes all right ready so i'm turning oh, on the echo no. now phil get ready one two three go it is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want. I hate this. I, I feel like I'm being chased. I must be in want of a way. <laughs> However little known the feelings or views of such a man may be on his first <laughs> entering a neighbor. You're doing very well. This tr- tr- truth is so well fixed in the minds of the surrounding families. I'm just going to power through that it, he is considered as the right, rightful property of. Su- su- <laughs> is that far powering through? Is it? Because okay, it's not okay, catching I'm turning up. It off now. I'm turning it off now. Oh. Does that feel better, Phil? Oh, I, I don't know. I'm going to yeah. take the headphones off as well. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. So there you go, listeners. That was uh, a live demonstration. Uh, it is, it's alarmingly unnerving, isn't it? You just can't because do it. It's like there's another person who's repeating everything you say, and you're, you slow down to try and match 
to kind of hear them. Yeah. And then they don't, they slow down even more. <laughs> so then you're just kind of waiting in this weird and limbo. What's really funny about it is that I think it reveals the way that we listen to ourselves a oh. lot more than you think we do. So the way, even you were trying to use different tones to express the sentence. I, I don't know what it sounded like as I read it. When you start going out with your voice, the, the voice that comes back at you is lower than that. It's really strange. Oh, horrible. Well, horrible thank you feeling. for being our guinea pig, Phil. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that odd technological bonus. I don't know what this is going to sound like because they're not going to hear the voice that I could hear, can they? <laughs> no. Oh, oh I'm no. I'm looking forward to it. Here oh, we go. no. All right. Thanks, listeners. Bye. <laughs> Kingsman is a kind of James Borrow... Uh, James Borrow...